too, those and heroines whose names contain more than four letters, full of this idea, on my returning home in the evening, I sat to my desk, and before I retired to a rest, had written a novel of three neat, portable volumes, which, I assert, any lady or gentleman, who has had the advantage of a liberal education, may get through with tolerable ease, in the time occupied by the railroad train running from London to Birmingham. I will not dilate on the many advantages which this description of writing possesses over all others, lamplighters, commercial bagmen, omnibus cads, tavern waiters, and general postmen, may read as they run, fiddlers at the theatres, during the rests in a piece of music, may also benefit by my invention, for which, if the following specimen meet your approbation, I shall instantly apply for a patent, specimen, Claire Gray, a novel, brief let me be, London, Printed and published for the author, 1841, volume I Claire Grace Sweet Girl Bloom and Blushes, Roses, Lilies, Dewdrops, and C. Tom Lee Young, Gay, but poor love Claire Madly Claire love Tom Ditto Claire's Porridge, Old, Cross, Cruel, and C. Smelt a red dee dee Tom, and swore at Claire Tears, Sighs, Locks, Bolts, and Bars Love Schemes Bill do from Tom, Conveyed to Claire in a dish of peas. Crammed with vows, love, despair, hope and sir pencil and curl paper, slipped through keyhole full of hope, despair, love, vows Tom serenades bad cold rather horse white kerchief from narrow window, tease Claire, tease Claire, garden wall, six feet high love is rash scale the wall great house dog at home pins Tom by the calf old honks roused fire, thieves, guns, swords, and rush lights Tom caught murder, burglary station house, jail. Justice fudge, prettiness hail, oh, tease love, and see, sweet Claire Gray, seven pages of sentiment lame leg, light purse, heavy heart shaw, never mind volume I, I, adieu, my native land, and see, D.I.O., we part to meet again, death or glory red coat laurels and repeats in view vows of constancy, eternal truth, and see Tom swells the brine with tears Claire wipes her eyes in cambric, alas, alack, oh, God, fond hearts, doomed to part cruel fate, ten pages, poetry, romance, and see, and see, Tom and battle cut, slash, dash sabers, rifles round and grape and showers hot work charge, whiz bang, flat as a flounder never say die peace sweet sound scars, wounds, wooden leg, one arm, and one eye half pay home huzza, swift gales post horses love, hope, and Claire Gray volume I I I. Here we are, at home once more old friends and old faces must be changed nobody knows him church bells ringing in choir cause, wedding Claire Gray to jobs looks, the old pawnbroker brain whirls I start from sockets devils and hell Claire Gray, the fond, constant, Claire, a jilt, can't be no go stump up to church to true Claire just made Mrs. Looks madness, rage, death. Tom's crutch at works looks floored bridesman settled parson bolts clerk nizzle assaults and shrieks Claire in a swoon pun in a funk tragedy speech love, vengeance, and damnation, half an ounce of laudanum quick speech Tom and shackles his wooden pin dies like a hero Claire pines in secret hops the twig, and goes to glory in white muslin poor Tom and Claire, they now lie side by side, beneath lessons in P.U.N.M.A.N.ship, we have been favored with the following announcement from Mr. Hood which we recommend to the earnest attention of our subscribers, Mr. T. Hood, Professor of P.U.N.M.A. begs to acquaint the dull and witless, 
that he has established a class for the acquirement of an elegant and ready style of punning. On the pure Joe Millerian principle, the very worst hands are improved in six short and mirthful lessons. As a specimen of his capability, he begs to subjoin two conundrums by Colonel Sithorpe. Copy. The following is a specimen of my punning before taking six lessons of Mr. T. Hood. Q.Y. is a fresh plucked carnation like a certain cold with which children are affected. A. Because it's a new pink cough and whooping cough. This is a specimen of my punning after taking six lessons of Mr. T. Hood. Q.Y. is the difference between pardoning and thinking no more of an injury the same as that between a selfish and a generous man. A. Because the one is forgetting and the other forgiving. Envy gentlemen who live by their wits and diners out in particular, will find Mr. T. Hood's system of incalculable service. Mr. H. has just completed a large assortment of jokes, which will be suitable for all occurrences of the table, whether dinner or tea. He has also a few second-hand bonbons which he can offer a bargain. A good laugher wanted. A synopsis of voting, arranged according to the categories of can't. There have been long wanting a full and perfect synopsis of voting. It being a science which hath become exceedingly complicated, it is necessary, therefore, to the full development of the art, that it be brought into such an exposition, as that it may be seen in a glance what are the modes of bribing and influencing in elections. The briber, by this means, will be able to arrange his polling books according to the different categories, and the bribe to see in what class he shall most advantageously place himself. It is true that there be able and eloquent writers greatly experienced in this noble science, but none have yet been able so to express it as to bring it as we hope to have done within the range of the certain sciences. Henceforward, we trust it will form a part of the public education, and not be subject to the barbarous modes pursued by illogical though earnest and zealous disciples, and that the great and glorious constitution that has done so much to bring it to perfection, will, in its turn, be sustained and matured by the exercise of what is really in itself so ancient and beautiful a practice. Voting may be considered as first. He that hath not a vote and VODADH, which may be considered, first, as to his claim, which is divisible into a one. He that vote at four dead men. Two. He that vote at four empty tenements. Three. He that vote at four many men. Four. He that vote at four men in the country. And the like. Second. As to his motive which is divisible into a one, because he hath a bet that he will vote, two, because he loveth the lark, three, because he illoviates his country, here also may be applied all the predicates under the subject's bribing, humbug, and principle, second, he that hath a vote and VODADH not, which is divisible into first, he that is prevented from voting, which is divisible into a one, he who is upset by a bribe coachman, two, he who is incited into an assault, that he may be put into the cage. 3. He who is driven by a drunken coachman many miles the wrong way. 4. He who is hocussed. 5. He who is sent into the country for a holiday. And the like. 2nd. He that if the ADH his vote, which is divisible into a one. He who is too great a philosopher to care for his country. 2. He who has not been solicited. 3. He who drink it so that he cannot go to the poll. 4. He who is too drunk to speak at the pole. 5. He who through overzeal getteth his head broken. 6. He who stayeth to finish the bottle, and is too late, and the like. 3. He that hath a vote and VODADH, which is divisible into first. He that vote at intentionally, which is divisible into first. He that vote at corruptly, which is divisible into first. 
he that is bribed, which is divisible into first, he that is bribed directly, which is divisible into first, he that receives money, which may be considered as one, he that pretendeth the money is due to him, two, he that pretendeth it is lent, three, he who receives it as alms, four, he who receives it as the price of a venerated tobacco pipe, a piece of Irish bacon, and the like, second, he that seek at place, which may be considered as one, he who is get for a high situation, as a judgeship in Botany Bay, or a bishopric in Sierra Leone, and the like, two, he who is get for a low situation, as a ticket porter, curate, and the like, three, he who is get for any situation he can get, as secretary to the admiralty, policeman, revising barrister, turnkey, chaplain, mail coach guard, and the like, third, he that takes drink, which may be considered as one, he that vote at for Walker's Gooseberry, or Elector's Sparkling Champagne, two, for Slow Juice, or Elector's Fine Old Crust Port, three, he who vote at for Brett's British Brandy, or Elector's Real French Cognac, four, he who vote at for Quasha, Molasses, Copras, Cocalus Indicus, Spanish Juice, or Elector's Extra Double Stout, second, he that is bribed indirectly, as one, he who was promised a government contract for wax, wafers, or the like, two, he who geteth the contract, for pauper's clothing, building unions, and the like, three, he who furnisheth the barouches and four for the independent forties, freeholders, four, he who was presented with cigars, snuffs, meerschaum pipes, haunches of venison, stilton cheeses, fresh pork, pineapples, early peas, and the like, second, he that is intimidated, as one, by his landlord, who solicit at back rent, or giveth him notice to quit, two, by his patron, who saith they of the opposite politics cannot be trusted, three, by his master, who saith he keep at no fear of an opposite opinion in his employ, four, by his wife, who will have her own way in hysterics, five, by his intended bride, who talk yet of men of spirit and Gretna Green, six, by a rich customer, who sendeth back his goods, and biddeth him be deed third, he that is voluntarily corrupt, which may be considered as one, he who vote at from the hope that his party will provide him a place, two, he who vote at to please one who can leave him a legacy, three, he who vote at to get into genteel society, four, he who vote at according as he hath taken the odds, five, he who, being a schoolmaster, vote at for the candidate with a large family, six, he who vote at in hopes posterity may think him a patriot. Second, he that vote at conscientiously, which is divisible into first. He that vote at according to humbug, which is divisible into first. He that is politically humbugged, which is divisible into first. He has some brains, as one. He who believeth taxes will be taken off. Two, he who believeth wages will be raised. Three, he who think that trade will be increased. Four, he who studieth political economy, 5. He who readeth newspapers, reviews, and magazines, and listeneth to lectures, and the like. 2. He that has no brains, as 1. He who vote at to support the glorious constitution, and maintain the envy of surrounding nations. 2. He who believeth the less the taxation the greater the revenue. 3. He who attendeth the crown and anchor meetings, and the like. 2. He that is morally humbugged. As one, he who think that the millennium and the reds will come in together. Two, he who think that the Whigs are patriots. Three, 
that the Torahs love the poor, for, that the member troubleth himself solely for the good of his country, five, that the unions are popular with the paupers, and the like, third, he that is domestically humbugged, as one, he who vote at because the candidate's ribbons suit his wife's complexion, two, because his wife was addressed as his daughter by the canvasser, three, because his wife had the candidate's carriage to make calls in and the like, four, because his daughter was presented with a set of the Prince Albert quadrilles, five, because the candidate promised to stand godfather to his last infant, and the like, second, he that vote at according to principle, which is divisible into first, he whose principles are hereditary, as one, he who vote at on one side because his father always voted on the same, two, because the wrong heads and the like had always sat for the county, three, because the half kindred with an ancient political hero, such as Jack Cade, Hampton, the pretender, and C, and so must maintain his principle, four, because his mother choreographed the arms of the candidate, and the like, second, he whose principles are conventional, as one, he who vote at because the candidate keep at a pack of hounds, two, because he was once insulted by a scoundrel of the same name as the opposite candidate, three, because the candidate is of a noble family, four, because the candidate laid the first brick of Zion Chapel, and the like, five, because he knows the candidate's cousin, six, because the candidate directed to him, Esquire, third, he whose principles are philosophical, which may be considered as first, he that is impartial, as one, he that vote at on both sides, two, because he tossed up with himself, three, he who loveth the majority and therefore vote at for him who hath most votes, four, because he is asked to vote one way, and so vote at the other, to show that he is not influenced, five, because he hates the multitude, and so vote at against the popular candidate, second, he that is independent, as one, he who cannot be trusted, two, he who takes money from one side, and vote at on the other, three, he who is not worth bribing, four, he who vote at against his own opinion, because his letter was not answered, five, he who, being promised a place last election, was deceived, and the like, second, he that vote at accidentally, which is divisible into first, he that vote at through the blunders of himself, which may be considered as one, he who is drunk, and forgetteth who gave him the bribe, two, he who goeth to the wrong agent, who leadeth him astray, three, he who is confused and giveth the wrong name, four, he who is bashful, and assent at to any name suggested, five, he who promiseth both parties, and vote at for all the candidates, and the like, second, he that vote at through the blunders of others, which may be considered as one, he who is mistaken for his servant when he is canvassed, and so incensed into voting the opposite way, two, he who is attempted to be bribed before many people, and so outraged into honesty, three, he who hath too much court paid by the canvasser to his wife, and so, out of jealousy, vote at for the opposite candidate, four, he who is called down from dinner to be canvassed, and being enraged thereat, vote at against his conviction, five, he who bringeth the fourth seat in a hackney coach to him who keep at a carriage and the like, the professional singer had any of Punch's readers ever met one of the above genus or rather, had they not, they must, for the race is imbued with the most persevering hick and ubic powers, like the old mole, these true pennies, work ith dark, at the theatres, the opera, the coal hole, the cider cellars, 
and the whole of the Grecian, Roman, British, Cambrian, Eagle, Lion, Apollo, Domestic, Foreign, Zoological, and Mythological Saloons, they, most do congregate, once set your eyes upon them, once become acquainted with their habits and manners, and then mistake them if you can, they are themselves, alone, like the London dustmen, the Newmarket jockeys, the peripatetic vendors, or buyers of old clue, or the Albert continuations at one pound one, they appear to be made to measure for the same, we must now describe them to speak theatrically with decorations, scenes, and properties, the entirely new dresses of a theatre are like the habiliments of the professional singer, i.e. neither one nor the other ever were entirely new, and never will be allowed to grow entirely old, the double-milled Saxony of these worthies is generally very blue or very brown, the cut whereof sets a man of a contemplative turn of mind wondering at what precise date those tales were worn, and vainly speculating on the probabilities of their being fearfully indigestible, as that alone could too long have kept them from time's remorseless maw. The collars are always velvet, and always greasy. There is a slight ostentation manifested in the seams, the stitches whereof are so apparent as to induce the beholders to believe they must have been the handiwork of some cherished friend, whose labors ought not to be entombed beneath the superstructure. The buttons, oh, for a pen of steam to write upon those buttons, they, indeed, are the aristocracy the yellow turbans, the Sunday moon, and stars of the woolen system. They had nothing in common with the coat they are on it, and that's all they had no further communion they decline the buttonholes, and as to all right to a labor for their living they announce themselves as the last new fashion, they sparkle for a week, retire to their silver paper, make way for the newcomers, and, years after, like the sleeping beauty, rush to a life in all their pristine splendor, and find save in the treble guild what a cation and their own accession the coat, the immortal coat, and changed. The waistcoat is of a material known only to themselves a sort of nightmare illusion of velvet, covered with a slight tracery of refined mortar, curiously picked out and guarded with a nondescript collection of the very greenest green pellets of high sun bloom gunpowder tea. The buttons things of use in this garment describe the figure and proportions of a large turbot. They consist of two rows leaving imagination to fill up a lapse of the absent, commencing, to all appearance, at the small of the back, and reaching down even to the hem of the garment which is invariably a double-breast one, made upon the good old dining-out principle of leaving plenty of room in the bindling department, to complete the catalogue of raiment. The unmulkaboutables have so little right to the name of drab, that it would cause a controversy on the point. Perhaps nothing in life can more exquisitely illustrate the distemona feeling of divided duty, than the portion of manufactured calfskin appropriated to the peripatetic purposes of these gentry, they are, in point of fact, Invariably that description of mud markers known in the purlieus of Lancaster Square, and at all denominations of boots, great, little, red, and yellow as eight and sixpenny bluchers, but the aforementioned drabs are strapped down with such pertinacity as to leave the observer in extreme doubt whether the Prussian hero of that name is their legitimate sponsor, or the glorious Wellington of our own Seagird Isle. Indeed, it has been rumored that as there never was a pair of either of the illustrious heroes these gentlemen, for the sake of consistency, invariably perambulate in one of each. We scarcely know whether it be so or not we merely relate what we had heard, but we incline to the two bluchers, because of the eight and six, the only additional expense likely to add any emolument to the tanner's interest we mean no pun is the immense extent of sixpenny straps generally worn, 
These are described by a friend of ours as belonging to the great class of coaxers, and their exertions in bringing as a nautical man would say the trozers to bear at all, is worthy of notice. There is a legend extant a veritable legend, which emanated from one of the fraternity who had been engaged three weeks at Her Majesty's Theatre, as one of twenty in an unknown course. The chief peculiarity of the affair being the close approximation of some of his principal foreign words to Tolderol and Falderilra, in which it was asserted that from a violent quarrel with a person in the grass bleach line, the body corporate determined to avoid any unnecessary use of that commodity. In the way of wristbands, the malice of the above void is beautifully nullified, inasmuch as the most prosperous linen draper could never wish to have less linen on hand. As we are describing the genus in black and white, we may as well state at once, those are the colors generally casing the throats from whence their sweet sounds issue, these ties are garnished with union pins, whose strong mosaic tendency would, in the Catholic days of Spain had they been residents, have consigned them to the lowest dungeons of the Inquisition, and favored them with an exit from this breathing world, amid all the uncomfortable pomp of an auto fe. It is a fact on record that no one of the body ever had a cold in his head, and this peculiarity, we presume, exempts them from carrying pocket handkerchiefs, a superfluity we never witnessed in their hands, though they indulge in snuff boxes which assume the miniature form of French plum cases, richly embossed, with something round the edges about as much in proportion to the box as eighteen insides are to a small tax cart. This testimonial is generally as the engraved inscription purports given by several gentlemen who are Unfortunately, in these instances, always anonymous which circumstance, as they are invariably described as admirers of talent, is much to be regretted, and, we trust, will soon be rectified. We believe, like the immortal Jack Falstaff, they were each born at four o'clock of the morning, with a bald head, and something of a round belly, certain at island they are universally thin in the hair, and exhibit strong manifestation of obesity. The further marks of identity consist in a ring very variously chased, and the infallible insignia of a tuning fork, without this no professional singer does or can exist. The thing has been tried, and found a failure. Its uses are remarkable and various, like the death's head and crossbones of the pirates, or the wand, globe, and beard of the conjurer. It is their sure and invarying sign. We have in our mind's eye one of the species even now we see him coquetting with the fork compressing it with gentle fondness, and then that all senses may be called into a requisition resting it against his eye tooth to catch the proper tone, should this be the prelude to his own professional performance, we see it returned, with a look of profound wisdom, to the right-hand depository of the nondescript and imaginary velvet double-breaster we follow his eyes, till, with peculiar fascination, they fix upon the far-off cornice of the most distant corner of the smoke and department we perceive the extension of the dexter hand employed in innocent dalliance with the well-sucked peel of a quarter of an orange, whilst the left is employed with the links of what would be a watch guard. If the professional singer had a watch, we hear the three distinct hems oblivion for a moment seizes us the glasses jingle to auctioneers hammers astonish the mahogany several dirty hands are brought in violent and noisy contact we are near a friend of the vocalist our glass of gin and water literally warm without empties itself over our lower extremities instigated thereto by the gymnastic performances of the said zealous friend and with an exclamation that were malworn present would cost us a shilling we find the professional singer has concluded and is half stooping to the applause, and half lifting his diligently stirred grog, gulping down the creature comfort with infinite satisfaction, 
There goes the hammer again. Rubens has a sinecure compared to that fat man. Ugly. Gents. Ugly. Ah. There they are three coats three collars heaven knows how many buttons. Three bald heads. Three stout stomachs. Three mouths. Stuffed with three tuning forks. Nodding and conferring with a degree of mystery worthy of three guy What is the subject? Hails me like Bjorn. That's a good guess. By the way. The vulgar notion of singing ensemble is totally exploded by these gentry each professional singer, as a professional singer, sings his very loudest, in justice to himself, if his brethren want physical power, that's no fault of his, he don't, professional singers indulge in small portions of classic lore, among the necessary acquirements island, non-novies, and see, and see dot, that island they consider they ought to know the airs. The words are generally delivered as follows, Don Bobis do da. A clear enunciation is not much cultivated among the clever in this line. In addition to the few particulars above, it may be as well to mention, they treat all tavern waiters with great respect, which is more Christian-like, as the said waiters never return the same set anywhere, just to accommodate eat everything, to prove they have no squeamish partialities no to a toothful what a bottom of brandy should be the exact quantity they may drink, free gratis and the most likely victim to drop upon for any further nourishment they may require. Their requirements in the musical world are rendered clear, by the important information that, Harry Phillips knows what he's about, Weber was up to a thing or two. A baritone ain't the sort of thing for tenor music, and when they sung with some man nobody ever heard of, they showed him the difference, and wouldn't mind, a cigar? Thank you, sir. Seldom smoke put it in my pocket aside that makes a dozen. Your good health, sir. Don't dislike cold, though I generally take it warm didn't mean that as a hint, but, since you have ordered it, I'll give you a toast here's the professional singer, F-U-S-B-O-S, N-N-T-A-N-A-C-R-E-O-N-D-I-C, Greek, E-I-S to L-E-I-N P-I-N-E-I-N, bards of old have sung the vine such a theme shall ne'er be mine, weaker strains to me belong, peans sung to thee, Su-Chung, what though I may never sip rubies from my teacup's lip, do not milky pearls combine in the steaming cup of mine, what though round my youthful brow I ne'er twine the myrtle's bough, for such wreaths my soul ne'er grieves, whilst I own my twankies leaves, though for me no altar burns, kettles boil and bubble urns in each fame, where I adore what should more last for more, I for pitting, back is fly, outway shall my cup supply, I'll ne'er ask for entry, whilst my teapot yields me tea, then, perchance, above my grave, blooming high sun sprigs may wave, and some stately sugar cane, there may spring to a life again, bright and maidens then may meet, to quaff the herb and suck the sweet, a conversation between two hackney coach horses, kindly communicated by our dog, Tilby, dear sir, I was a-sitting the other evening at the door of my kennel, thinking of the dog days and smoking my pipe blessings on you, master, for teaching me that art, when one of your prospectuses was put into my paw by a spaniel that lives as pet dog in a nobleman's family, Lock, sir, what misfortunes can have befallen you, that you are obliged to turn author? I remember the poor devil as used to supply us with dialect what a face he had. It was like a mouth organ turned edgewise, and he looked as hollow as the big drum, but weren't half so round and noisy. You can't have dwindled down to that, surely. I couldn't bear to see your hump and pars pendula that's dog Latin shrunk up like dried almonds, and did it that it out in MSDFSD toggery I'm sure I couldn't. The very thought of it is like a pound weight at the end of my tail. I whine like anything. 
Calling to my missus for you must know that I've married as handsome a Scotch terrier as you ever see. Dixon. Says I, here's the poor old governor up at last I knew that police act would drive him to something desperate. Why he hasn't hung himself in earnest. And summoned you on his inquest. Exclaimed Mrs. T. Worse nor that. Says I, he's turned author. And in course is skewed up in some worry elevated apartment during this blessed season of the year. When all nature is wagging with delight. And affairs is on. And the police don't want nothing to do to warm them. And consequentially sees no harm in a muster of infantry in my streets. It's very awful. Dixon sighed and scratched her ear with her right leg. So I knowed she'd something in her head. For she always does that when anything tickles her. Toby. Says she. Go and see the old gentleman. Perhaps it might comfort him to alarp you a little. Very well. Says I. I'll be off at once. So put me by a bone or two for supper. Should any come out while I'm gone, and if you can get the puppies to sleep before I return, I shall be so much obliged to you. Saying which, I toddled off for Wellington Street. I had just got to the coach stand at Hyde Park Corner, when who should I see labeled as a waterman but the one-end chap we once had as a orchestra he as could only play, Jim Crow, and the soldier tired. Thinks I, I may as well pass the compliment of the day with him, so I creeps under the hackney coach he was standing alongside on intending to surprise him, but just as I was about to pop out he ran off the stand to a U.N. nosebag a cab horse, whilst I was waiting for him to come back. I hears the offside horse in the vehicle make the following remark, offside horse twisting his tail about like anything curse the flies, near side horse, you may say that, I've had one fellow tickling me this half hour, offside horse, ours is a horrid profession, phew, the sun actually penetrates my vertebra. Near side horse. Worderby. What's that? Offside horse impatiently. The spine. My friend W.H.ish. W.H.ish. Near side horse. Ah. It is a shameful thing to dock us as they does. If the marrow in one's backbone should melt. It would be certain to run out at the tip of one's tail. I say. How's your feed? Offside horse. Very indifferent the chaff predominates munch not penny by any means. And.